Good evening. I'm Bruce McLean, and I want to welcome you to Christ Community Church and our Wednesday night Summer of Psalms. So far this summer, we have looked at seven different psalms, and I've been anxiously waiting my turn. And the first of four psalms that I want to look at tonight is Psalm 73. So if you get your Bibles out and turn to Psalm 73, if you can see behind me, um, the title of tonight's message is called, Nevertheless, I Am Continually With You, and we'll get that from verse 23 and explain that as we continue. The main idea of this psalm is, how is it that the wicked so often prosper while the righteous suffer? And we have five points, the problem of envy, verse 1 to 3, the perception of evil, verse 4 to 12, the pain of not understanding, verses 13 to 16, and the place of understanding, verses 17 to 20, and the praise of understanding, verses 21 to 28. So I'll move this back, and we'll talk more about that as we continue. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 73, and we will read. Verse 1 begins, God is good to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Lawfully they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocent. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went in the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes... O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant, I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with counsel, and afterwards you take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart might fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Let's pray. Father in heaven, open our eyes that we can see wonderful things in this psalm. Teach us to keep our eyes focused on you and not the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I begin our outline, I want you to notice uh, three things in this psalm. You notice at the top it says book three, 
And I don't have a lot of time to talk about that, but we will in the next couple weeks because next week's psalm begins book four. But if you were to ask uh, uh, a rabbi or read the Hebrew Midrash, they would tell you that the five books in Psalms, there's five song books written by seven, at least seven people that took over 1,000 years to write. But they would say that those five books correspond to the five books of the Pentateuch. So they would say that this book here, book three, corresponds to the book of Leviticus. And there is some validity and interesting truths about that because Leviticus is about proper worship in the tabernacle, right? And you notice our psalm said, when I went in the sanctuary. And book three has only 17 psalms. And one of them, though, is that very famous psalm and that verse, uh, Psalm 84, that says, you know, one day in your courts is a better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So there is some interesting truth to the fact that book three would correspond to Leviticus. Also, look at the superscription. Uh, we mentioned before that 116 of the 150 Psalms have them. Um, the Septuagint has them. Um, they're, they're important for the historical settings and important for the authors, and that's the case here. So the third thing I want you to see, it says a Psalm of Asap. Who is Asap and why is that important? Well, in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, David will appoint three worship leaders. He'll appoint Asap here. Heman, who would write Psalms 88, and Ethan, who would write Psalms 89, as the three worship leaders. We know that Asap wrote uh, 12 Psalms. He wrote Psalm 50, and then beginning Psalm 73, all the way to Psalm 83. We also know that he wrote a lot of the music to David's Psalms. If you were to go 300 years later, after Asap is gone, King Hezekiah would be leading a revival, and they cleaned out the the temple, and he commanded the Levites, and when he says to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asap the seer. So he's a seer. He's a very gifted wise man. He's a godly man. Um, he has incredible moral and spiritual insight. Um, he, and what's also interesting for me is he left a legacy with his children, with his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren for hundreds of years till the captivity uh, in Babylon, they would, um, Asap's children would lead the worship. Again, uh, the main idea here is how is the wicked so often prosper while the godly suffer? Let's get into our first of our five points. The problem of envy, verse one to three. Two sub points here, God is good and Asap is envious. You could say God is good and me like Asap is not. Asap is gonna look back here at a time in his life when he envied the prosperity of the wicked and started to doubt the goodness of God. So number one, God is good, verse one. You know, this is a very important theme. And 12 times in the Psalms, it says God is good. And at least five times, that's the very first verse. Psalm 73, one, God, truly God is good to Israel, to those who appear in heart. Psalms 106, one, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And Psalms 107, one, Psalms 118.1 and Psalms 136.1 all say the same thing. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And I think every Christian would uh, believe that. I mean, it's a fundamental truth that a Christian must believe that God is good and there's no evil in him and he does good all the time. God is good and he does good all the time. Now, often in the book of Psalms, verse one is the conclusion. 
And that is the case here. ASAP is going to give you the conclusion that God is good, and then he's going to discuss the problem and how he almost slipped and then how he came back the end. It's also interesting to note that verse 1, he says God is good. And in verse 28, the end, bookends, call them inclusio in the Bible, he says that, that, but as for me, it is good to be near God. So we have good in verse 1, good in verse 28. So we, we believe that's a fundamental truth. But ASAP, point, sub point B, ASAP gets envious. ASAP says God is good to those who are pure in heart. ASAP is the worship leader in the temple. He's trying to be godly. And, but, but there's a problem. He says in verse 2, but as for me. ASAP starts to get his focus off the goodness of God. And he starts looking at the prosperity of the wicked. Now, we don't know the problem. Perhaps the temple ties did not come in and he's not getting paid. Uh, perhaps he's just looking at wicked Israel. Now, understand the wickedness here is not talking about Gentiles. It's talking about the wicked Israelites. So maybe he's seen them come into the temple and they're not holy. And he lists all the things in verse 4 to 12 that they do. Um, so we don't know the problem, but he starts to get his eyes off God and he starts to look at the wicked. The, the word prosperity here is often translated peace, uh, satisfied, complete, harmonious. But as for Asaph, he says two things. Verse 2, he says, my feet almost slipped. And verse 3, my eyes envied sinners. What was the problem? Envy. He says, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So his eyes are not on God. They're not on what he's supposed to be doing in the temple. They're on the wickedness of man. Now, envy is a sin. We used to call it one of the seven deadly sins, remember? Envy is uh, sad or resentful covetousness towards the traits of someone or the possessions of someone else. Uh, here he is doing the best to live a godly life, but he's experiencing some unknown trial or test that causes him to look away from God. And he starts to look upon the sinfulness in man. And he sees that these sinful men are seemingly blessed. And Asaph's thinking what we often think. Do you think this sometimes? Shouldn't the godly be blessed and the wicked ones cursed? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Isn't that what I was told when I uh, came to the Lord? Proverbs 14.30 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Proverbs 23, 17 says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. You know, envy causes you to resent God. Envy leads to murder in the case of Cain. Uh, envy leads to slander, to gossip, to theft, to adultery, and more sins. Remember, Satan envied God and got thrown out of heaven. Envy can even happen in the life of a child. Many of you know my parents were missionaries. I was born in Sudan, raised in Ethiopia the first 10 years of my life. And when I was 10, we came back to America. And you can imagine being a missionary kid. We were pretty poor and having to go to the public school. So I had what we called hand-me-down clothes. And my pants were always a, a little bit short and used to call those high waters. So you would get teased, made fun of. So I would envy, what I envied then was those uh, 1970 bell-bottom corduroy pants that everybody had. I wanted those so bad, but you know, my parents couldn't afford them. And that envy would cause bitterness. It would cause 
even when you got to be age 15 to start working and making money, thinking you could uh, satisfy your life with money and buying things. So it's very important for our parents to teach our kids about covetousness and envy and how the sins that can lead. When you go to the New Testament, Paul even mentions envy in Titus chapter 3. He says in verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, uh, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. So one of the characteristics of being ungodly is passing your day in envy, looking around and envying. That's not what Christians are to do, because Paul would go on to say, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior came, He saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. So envy is one of those sins that is in the past, and we are not to envy. We're to be content with what God has given us after coming to the Lord. Let's move on from the problem of envy to the perception of evil, and that's verses 4 to 12. Three things here I'll cover quickly, because it is a lot of verses. Uh, ASAP is going to observe the prosperity of the wicked, and this is what almost causes him to slip. Now I want you to notice here the personal pronouns. Very important in this psalm to understand the personal pronouns. Because beginning with point two, there's a personal pronoun, and it changes as you go with each successive point. So here the personal pronoun is they. They are the wicked. Six times he's going to say they, they, they in the, these nine verses. But when we get to point three, the pain of not understanding, he will begin, the personal pronoun will be I. When we get to point four, the place of understanding, it'll be you, you, God. When it gets to the praise of understanding, it'll be you and I. So very important you understand these personal pronouns in these subsections. So the perception of evil, three things. They are always haughty, they're always healthy, and they're always happy. Let me start with they're always healthy first, verses four to five. They seem to have strong bodies, these wicked. They're not plagued by the human sicknesses. Perhaps they don't get the cancers. They don't get the, the illnesses that we have. Um, he even says they, they die a painless death. They, they seem to be free from the troubles of life and the terror of death. Uh, verse 5 says they don't have burdens. They don't have struggles. At least this is the perception of what we see in them. Spurgeon would say here, fierce trials do not assail them. So the second thing, they're healthy, and then the second thing, they're haughty. They're very prideful, and he has verses 6 through 11, and lists many, many things that I don't have time to go into, but first off, he says they have conceited hearts. He says pride is their necklace. They're very prideful, these wicked. Um, Number two, they have cruel hands. They will commit violence to get what they want or whatever they they feel is theirs. says violence covers them like a garment, like clothing. Uh, Number three, they always seem to have plenty. He says their eyes swell out through fatness. This reminds us of the parable that we cover often at Christ Community Church, the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12. Remember, he said, I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to take life easy. I'm I, 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 five times. He had no thought of God. He had no thought of how to use God's money, no thought of charity. And this is what kind of reminds you here that these wicked who are prosperous, they have plenty. Number four, they have careless minds. He says in verse seven, their hearts overflow with follies. 
And lastly, he says they have corrupt mouths, verses 8 to 11. The speech of the wicked, they mock the living God. They speak with arrogance. They question the omniscience of God. They say, how can God know? Is there knowledge of the Most High? You know, as reading these verses uh, and studying, it reminded me of all the riots, all the protests that, that you see. Just this week, I, I saw someone uh, burning a bunch of Bibles in the Portland uh, riots. And it reminds me of these people. They have corrupt mouths. So three things. They are healthy. They are haughty. And lastly, they seemingly are always happy. And that's verse 12. And verse 12 is a summary verse of verses 4 to 11. And it says two things. They are carefree, always at ease, and they are wealthy. They increase in riches. So they're, they're carefree, seem to have a carefree lifestyle, and they're rich. Uh, remember growing up, there was a TV show that we used to watch uh, called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I don't think it's on anymore. But uh, we know that, that this is a distorted view that ASAP has. But it seems like that the wicked are prospering and the righteous are suffering. Now, the entire book of Job deals with this same topic. And Job in chapter 21, verses 1 to 15, would say the same thing that Asep says here in verses 4 to 12. I'll just read Job 21, verse 7. Job says, Why do the wicked live and reach old age? Uh, and why do they grow mighty in power? Okay, so Spurgeon would say about these verses here, Asap was looking at the present and he forgot about the future. And that's what we as Christians often do when we get our eyes off of God and onto the wicked. Let's look at the pain of not understanding, verses 13 to 16. So Asap has a perception of evil. Now it's going to cause him, in verses 13 to 16, a pain internally of not understanding. So as I mentioned here, the personal pronoun changes from they, the wicked, to I. This is all about ASAP here, verses 13 to 16. The pain of not understanding. Real quickly, he's going to say four things. He says, I have kept pure. He says, all in vain, I have kept my heart clean. Remember verse 1, he says, God is good to those who are pure in heart. So this is the second time he's mentioned purity. He's, he's, he is a godly man. He's trying to do his best, but he got his eyes off of the goodness of God onto the prosperity of the wicked. So he's saying goodness is in vain. Uh, the righteous are suffering. The ungodly seem to be immune. Number two, he says, I've been plagued. He says, I've been stricken all day long. Asap felt like he was being chastised by God every morning, despite being pure in heart. Number three, he says, I withheld my words. Now, what's that mean? Verse 15. Well, Asap is the worship leader in the congregation. And he was wise not to complain, not to grumble, because that could have led to the downfall of a future generation. And while he may not have, he only temporarily felt like slipping and uh, maybe someone else would have. So he withheld his words that could have caused serious problems in the congregation. And number four, and the summary here of this section, I suffered much, Asap says. He couldn't understand it. It pained him not to understand why the, the wicked were prospering and the righteous were suffering. Uh, Dr. James Boyce says something very good about here. Asap says what we often say, and that's, what's the point of being godly then? What's the advantage of being a Christian? 
if those who are not Christians get what I want and I don't get it, and it's even worse than that, not only do I not get what I, I want, I have lots of troubles. It seems like I'm being punished for being good. So let's move from the problem of envy to the perception of evil to the place of understanding. Notice here now the personal pronoun, which was they in point two, which was I in point three, now is you, you as in God. ASAP is going to stop comparing himself to others, and he's going to start thinking and looking at God. Notice the first verse in verse 16. It says, until. Okay, I'm sorry, verse 17. It says, until. We've had 16 verses of doubt, despair, and pain. But remember, Asaph is the worship leader. And just as Asaph is about to stumble, perhaps like many of us, just as he's about to be swept away, he enters the sanctuary of God, and he comes to understand the final destiny of those wicked people that he was looking at. And that is that eternal punishment awaits the wicked. So he says, subpoint A, I entered. I entered the Lord's sanctuary, verse 17. He's ministering in the house of God. He was a worship leader. He even wrote sacred scripture for the Bible. He translated many of David's Psalms into music. So in the tabernacle or the soon-to-be temple, Asaph found peace to his doubts. Maybe it was when the scriptures were read by the rabbi, or by the, not the rabbi, the worship leader. Maybe it was when the Psalms were sung in worship. When we worship, our focus is on God. When we worship, we don't think about our troubles, our trials, our tribulations. We think about God. This is so important for us to worship. Uh, we're having the big, uh, the big trial right now in 2020 is the COVID. And many of you can't even come to worship at Christ Community Church. But I hope and pray that when this COVID is over, and I hope it's soon, that everyone will come back and enter the sanctuary of Christ Community Church and study sacred scripture and sing hymns to God and worship and serve God like Asap did here. So Asap enters the sanctuary. Uh, John Calvin would say here, entering the sanctuary means studying the law of God. And that was kept, that was kept there in the sanctuary, entering Bible doctrines. So it's going to be the word of God and worship that's going to correct Asap's misunderstanding. ASAP is finally going to see God's perspective. And, what, and that's subpoint number two. He entered the Lord's sanctuary, and number two, I understood the final destiny of the wicked. ASAP has a new awareness of the destiny of the wicked. The perception was that they were on solid ground in verses 4 to 12. Well, actually, they're on very slippery ground. Actually, they're very miserable, and there is a horrible conclusion to what happens to them. And I'll just cover this quickly. It's very interesting that, uh, I'll mention more of this next week, that perhaps the, the, the most famous or greatest sermon ever preached on American soil, it was actually preached in uh, 1741, so America wasn't quite a country then, but it was by Jonathan Edwards. And that sermon, as most of you know, is called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it's interesting that Jonathan Edwards would begin that sermon with Psalm 73, verses 18 and 19, as he began that sermon. So God says four things here. It says that God makes them fall, verse 18. 
It says that God destroys them, verse 19. It says that God sweeps them away in verse 19. And then listen to this, verse 20. God despises the wicked. See, on earth, they're getting riches. They're getting power. They're getting prestige. They're getting physical things. But ASAP realizes that they're going to die and spend eternity in hell. But we Christians are not to look at the physical. We're to look at the spiritual. We're to look at the eternal. And that's what happens when we think of God and the future. Uh, Jesus would say in Matthew 25, verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the angels and the devil. So we've talked about the problem of envy, the perception of evil, the pain of not understanding, and the place of understanding. Now let's go to the praise of understanding. And here we have oh, some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, and we should preach an entire sermon on verses 23 to 26. And every Christian should memorize verses 23 to 26, especially if you're undergoing some trial or test right now. But the praise of understanding. I mentioned the personal pronoun went from they to I to you. Now it's you and I. It's Asaph and God. It's, it's the believer and God together. So he says, first off, I was self-focused. He admits to God that he was self-focused. He, he was like an animal devoid of thinking. He was uh, self-despairing in verse 21. He admits that his bitterness had caused him uh, to create doubts. And that's a problem. Envy causes bitterness. And as Christians, we're not to be bitter. We're to be praising the Lord, to be joyful, to be thankful. So you've got to get rid of that bitterness. You've got to get the right focus like Asap did. Get back into the Word of God. Get back into worship. Get back into studying the Bible, memorizing it, and reading it. So Asap said he was self-despairing. He was bitter. And then he said he was self-deceived. He said that uh, in verse 22, his lack of knowledge caused him to, to act like an animal, like a brute beast. So he, he admits that he was self-focused, but now he says, I am God-focused. And this comes to our conclusion here. He's going to say four things. He's going to say that God holds me, God guides me, God captivates me, and God strengthens me. Four wonderful things that God does for me when I have the right focus. These verses I mentioned are some of the finest expressions of true spirituality in all the Bible, verses 23 to 26 especially. Uh, when we have trials, when we have problems, when we don't understand what causes those problems and the pain, uh, it's like a light when we get into the Word of God being turned on and we start to understand and then we break out in praise. That's what happens here with ASAP. So, number one, he says, God holds me. He says, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. This speaks of the power of God holding us. Notice it's God holding our right hand, not the other way around. God never left ASAP. God never leaves you and me. He's always there. He's always supporting us, even when we are confused, even when we have affliction and doubts. Now, I want you to notice this word here, nevertheless. That's the title of this psalm I said, nevertheless, I am continually with you. Because only a Christian can say this word. A non-Christian can't say this word. 
A non-Christian doesn't say, nevertheless, I am continually with you, God. He walks away from the faith when the trial comes. Remember Mark 4, the parable of the four soils? You have the rocky soil, the person receives Christ, but when tribulation and persecution comes, they fall away. Remember all those disciples following Jesus in John 6, 66? It says that they turned back and no longer followed Jesus. And 1 John 2, 19 says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. A non-Christian can't say this, nevertheless. But a Christian, a true believer can say, nevertheless the cancer, I am continually with you. Nevertheless the job loss or the cut in hours because of COVID, I'm continually with you, God. Nevertheless the marriage difficulty, I am continually with you. <clears throat> nevertheless, whatever trial, whatever test, whatever tribulation comes my way, I am continually with you. Why? Because God holds us by our right hand through them. Number two, God guides me. God guides me with counsel. He says, you guide me with counsel. You may not get an answer to why the troubles occurred, much like <coughs> uh, Job, but we do get counsel to get us through the trial, right? Asep says in verse 17, then I discern therein. The light went on in Asaph's mind. He, he sees those wicked. Now, Psalms 37 is a psalm similar to Psalm 73. And Psalms 37 <coughs> looks at the wicked and it basically says, wait, God will deal with them. Psalm 73 says, worship, worship. Okay. Psalm 73 says, worship God no matter what. J. Vernon McGee says, uh, you have to stay close to God today, friend, or you'll become bitter and cynical as you see the injustice in this world. You know, the best counsel I can give people through when they're going through trials and tribulations is that these tests are only temporary here on earth. My favorite verse about this is 2 Corinthians 4.17. And that says, <clears throat> for these light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Asap says, afterwards you take me into glory. <clears throat> this same word, afterwards you not take, afterwards you receive me in glory. This is the same Hebrew word that talks about God receiving or taking Enoch up into heaven. The best is ahead, especially when I get to heaven. So you may ask real briefly, why do the righteous suffer? And I'll just give you three reasons tonight. You could give six or eight, but number one, you have to remember, Christian, that God is worthy of our love, even apart from the blessings He bestows upon us. Number two, God may permit sufferings as a means of purifying us or strengthening us, the soul for God, godliness. Number three, God's thoughts and ways are moved by considerations too vast for our little minds to even understand. So try to remember that. Let's move on to number three. God captivates me. And isn't this the most beautiful verse in uh, the entire psalm? Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You heard the saying, we often say this a lot at Christ Community Church, fear God, fear nothing else. So that he that sees God sees nothing else. The question is, do I, do you desire God above all worldly possessions? 
It's not possible to trust God while our focus is on the temporary, while our focus is on the physical that the wicked have. Our world is getting more and more wicked, especially in the USA these last few months you've seen it. The wicked are seemingly prospering more than the righteous. Are you focused on God? Are you focused on the world? Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2 says two things. It says, seek the things that are above, and number two, set your mind on those things that are above. Let's move to point four quickly. God strengthens me. God's the strength of my heart. A beautiful verse. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is the sixth time in the psalm that Asaph has mentioned the heart. Asaph got back in the temple. He got back in the Word of God. He got back in worshiping, and he grew stronger. Now our bodies get weaker and weaker the older we get, but our heart goes stronger and stronger in faith as we worship God. So the question is, how healthy is your heart of hearts today? Now, the last two verses, verses 26 and 28, are simply a contrast. A contrast of the wicked and a contrast of the righteous. You see this in Psalms 1. The way of the wicked, the way of the godly. And so verse 27 says, what is the end of the wicked? It says the wicked will perish. Psalms 1, verse 6, the last verse says, perish. The wicked are going to perish. And that's what you got to look at when you see the prosperity of the wicked. They don't have Jesus Christ. They're going to die a horrible end. Keep your eye on God and treasures that you're going to put in heaven on what God wants you to do, not the wicked. Uh, the wicked, the proud, the prosperous, the famous, the powerful, they're going to perish in hell, which will be cast into the lake of fire. But verse 28, he says, but as for me, there's the contrast, the wicked and the righteous. Asep says, but as for me, it is good to be near God. Uh, the good is not found in prosperity. The good is found in just being near God and being with God and God and worshiping God. Um, <clears throat> in closing, sorry, it's gone a little long. Uh, you all know Charles Wesley. He wrote over 7,000 hymns, including Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And on his deathbed in March of 1788, he was reading his Bible. And you know what he was reading? Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. He called his wife over and he dictated his last words before dying. And this is what he said. In an age of feebleness extreme, what shall a sinful worm redeem? Jesus, my only hope thou art, strength of my failing flesh and heart. Oh, could I catch a smile from thee and drop into eternity. Again, the main idea of this psalm is that how is it that the wicked so often prosper while the godly suffer? I hope I've given you some answers to that tonight. I hope you'll get your eyes off the physical and onto the spiritual. ASAP, like ASAP, we also need to be reminded to keep our eyes off the wicked, off social media, off all these things that are going on TV, and get our eyes focused on the Word of God, the preaching of God's Word, worshiping our great God who loves us, who holds us, who guides us, who we should be captivated with, and who strengthens us. I look forward to seeing you next week uh, when we'll look at Psalm 90 if you want to start looking at that. Thank you for being with us tonight. God bless you.